Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hey guys, and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast. I am your host, Matt Levy, and I am joined by the gunslinger himself, the cowboy of all cowboys, Mike Stab. How are you, Mike? Yeehaw. I am doing real good today. I'm good. I'm good, Matt. Thanks for thanks for, for that wonderful introduction. As we talk about a game that is one of the few <laughs> redeeming moments of the Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 generation, uh, a generation that I have commonly had a problem with, especially on this show, but there are some glimmers of excellence that are that come out of that generation. And I think this is one of the best games to come out of that generation. I actually think it's one of the I think it's one of the developers' best games, even though I think the sequel kind of surpasses it in pretty much every way, shape, or form. Uh, I think that that this game is a is kind of a, a special piece of video game history. Now I am biased, so I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, as to why I, I agree with you, Mike. And to your, your one of your finer later points there, I would say this is like a Mario Galaxy one and two situation where I think the second Red Dead Redemption. We'll talk about. Obviously, I didn't even say the name of the game, but I do agree the sequel probably does surpass it in most ways. But yeah, this game we're talking about today is Red Dead Redemption. Now we are talking about obviously it's sort of the sequel to Red Dead Revolver. It is different creators. It is different studios involved. It is a sort of sequel, you'd say, Mike? Yeah, I would think that it's almost like, it's weird because Red Dead Revolver, which is the first game, the first game in this quote unquote series. Yeah, it was made in 2004. Yes. I remember buying it when it came out for the PlayStation 2. Yep. And it's, Fine. I had it's it on not... the Xbox. Yeah, it's it's an okay game. I mean, it's you'd say probably one of the better of these type of games on those systems, but it's not standout. It's kind of rough around the edges, if you recall. Yeah, and it's not it's not an open world game. No, Red Dead Revolver. It's got levels. You're, yeah, it's you're got playing through boss stages. Fights. It's got stages. It it does some things though, which we'll talk about along the way, but. 2010's Red Dead Redemption, developed by Rockstar San Diego, published by Rockstar Games. And as you said before, this is a PS3, Xbox 360 game. And Mike, when you go back to it today, if you were to play it like on Xbox One X or Series X and get all those enhancements, this game looks really good. It's one of the few games from that generation that still looks and plays really well today. So let's dive into it, Mike. What is your experience sure. with this game and why has this game aged well? Why is this one of the glimmers from that generation? I think it's it's a game that is felt uh, kind of original at the time. There's a lot of Western video games. Sometimes they come out in spurts. Like I feel like there was a handful that came out on the cross between the PlayStation 2 generation and the Xbox 360 generation. Games like Gun, Red Dead Revolver really stand out. And Red Dead Redemption you know, was a continuation, I guess, on Rockstar's journey through their West, the West that they wanted to build. Now, I'm not sure if the world that Red Dead Redemption is in eventually becomes the world that Grand Theft Auto is in. I don't know if anything's connected, but 
Rockstar really showed us, dating back to Grand Theft Auto 3, that they know their way around an open world game. And I remember playing Red Dead Revolver and I'm like, yeah, I like, I like a, a good Western. Why don't I go pick this up? And I picked up Revolver and I thought it was fine. Uh, I had fun with it. That was a game that I played, blew through and kind of traded into GameStop like right away so I could get the most amount of money for it. And then I remember seeing things about Red Dead Redemption, which released in 2010, like right before summer in 2010. And I remember seeing like, oh man, this is not going to be just a sequel to Red Dead Revolver. This is actually going to be an open world action game with a very intense story with these intense characters that have some sort of expanded open world adventure with this character named John John Marsden. And he looked like he was clawed in the face by like a bobcat. And the whole point of the game was to kind of have this open world Western adventure. And after Grand Theft Auto 4, kind of, to me, even though I know it's a step up in terms of presentation, visuals, and an overall quality to Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, I, I did not love Grand Theft Auto 4. I think there was a lot of stuff that was put in Grand Theft Auto 4 that kind of felt like it was, I don't know. I wasn't crazy about that game. I'm still not crazy about that game. I still have my issues with it. I still think it's awesome looking. I think New York looks really good. And I think a lot of the stuff you do in that game is a lot of fun. But ultimately, it's Red Dead Redemption that, to me, kind of has taken the mantle of the superior open world adventure story game that Rockstar does. Grand Theft Auto V is excellent, but it's now it's more of an online multiplayer, almost like a mini MMO kind of experience. Whereas Red Dead Redemption is still, and they do have an online, I know they have an online for that, but Red Dead Redemption still is a game that focuses on character and story. And I remember picking up Red Dead Redemption for the PlayStation 3 and playing it like mad, like nonstop. It, it came out in late May. I remember playing it like on 4th of July as I was like in between hot dogs or hamburgers or whatever the heck I was eating that day and just loving everything about it. I'm a huge fan of Westerns. I love Weird West stuff too. For those of you who are familiar, I played a card game in high school called Doomtown, which is set in what is called the Weird West. So it's pretty much the Old West, but with like steampunk and and zombies and 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 robots and aliens and and uh, all that type of magic and all that stuff. So I've always kind of liked the the vibe of the Western. I love Western movies. I love you know those heroes. Those characters are are very interesting. So when a game came out that was going to really kind of encapsulate that that whole Leone feel, the whole feeling of a spaghetti Western, I had to get my hands on it. And I played it like mad. I, I, I love this game. I've only played it once all the way through, but it's definitely a game I would love to revisit. And I don't think this one ever made its way to PC, which I think is a bit of a shame because this game would have been great if they were able to clean it up, let people mod it, do all the stuff they do at Grand Theft Auto. So yeah, no, Red Dead Redemption was like a really seriously amazing game in 2010 when that generation was still kicking. It was still kicking. It was still making a lot of games, but nothing seemed to really add up to uh, what stuff like what Red Dead Redemption was doing. And this was really like the heyday of the Western game. And Red Dead Redemption, Bioshock, these games like sit at the top of, of what Western games were doing at the time. And, and I think this game is just incredible.
Yeah, I think it's very much ahead of its time. I think if you were to look at 2010 and the games released this generation, this is, for me, probably the top three or four games released in that, I think, seventh generation of consoles. And you're right, Mike. There's something about Westerns. If you're a fan of Westerns, the movies, I love the Western movies. I've seen them all, whether it's the Christian Bale, Russell Crowe film I love. Gene Hackman's got a bunch of great Westerns. There's so many good Western that Val Kilmer plays. Oh, yeah. Doc Holliday, right? Doc Holliday. There's so many good ones. Yes, thank you. I forget the names of all of them, but these are the actors that highlight these great Western films. And Back to the Future 3 goes Western. I mean, there's just so many out there. And I I saw this game, and this was immediately on my radar. Now, you said you played it through to the end, probably once to completion. I get very much distracted in Rockstar games. I think they make these beautifully detailed games. And... This game, we're going to talk about some of the detail that they pay attention to in the animations and just all the environments. But I very much get distracted and have a little fun, get into a little bit of trouble and explore a lot. And I kind of lose that linearity that it is hard to find in some of these games with, with, with side quests and whatnot. But I, what I remember back to when this game came out is just the openness of the world. And you had that in Grand Theft Auto 3. You had that in Vice City. You had that in San Andreas. You had that in the previous games before this. But this felt bigger, Mike. This yeah. felt truly open world. And I know putting the word truly in front of open world doesn't necessarily change what the previous games did. But this, you were able to ride a horse into the horizon. And you really felt like there was a limitless amount of exploration that you could do. Well, I think this game takes place in 1911. I want to say so the west is dying at this point. This is this is around the time I think the Lone Ranger is uh popular and I might be wrong about that but I think 1911 is around that time. And it's not the end of the west yet but the west is like on its last legs because there I think is the name of the city Blackwater in Red yep. Dead Redemption where it's like like an industrial city with like people who have motor cars and things like that. And this game is, you know, Red Dead Redemption means a lot of things. It's kind of the redemption of the West. It's kind of, kind of John's redemption as a character, though I do think that Red Dead Redemption 2 is much more of a redemption story and Red Dead Redemption is much more of a revenge story. And what's interesting is Red Dead Redemption 2 is a prequel yes. to this because spoilers, but our guy John, while he does get some redemption in this, he does not make it through. No, no, John does not. I mean, listen, he made too many enemies. That's that's the problem. He was working for the feds. Yep. He made too many enemies. He hunted down his own gang and he ends up getting himself killed for it. But his son, Jack, Jack, who throughout the game is kind of like oh, he's more he's not really a violent, aggressive character throughout the game. He's kind of like this artist weird artsy kid who likes to read and go out and explore and imagine things, I think, right? And he's educated and he's smart. But ultimately when John, and I'm spoiling the whole game, when John John gets kind of iced <laughs> by, by, I believe it's the feds uh, or whatever government, whatever government agency puts him down. It could be the sheriff's office, yeah, it could yeah, be I the believe, rangers. If I remember correctly, I think his uncle gets taken down first and then yeah. he goes down trying to fight yeah. them off and there's just too many. In a barn, he's got his standoff and his blaze of glory, yeah. which is what you need in a Western when you're killing the hero. 
But then you get to skip like 10 or so years and Jack, his son, yep. ends up getting to kill the people that killed his father, which is a, which is a, an interesting ending. So many Western stories and Western movies are about revenge. Uh, I think that's why someone like Quentin Tarantino, who pretty much only makes revenge movies, goes out of his way to make Westerns, oh, yeah. uh, has made a few. And I think that's because of the the story of revenge. And it's it's great how this kind of parallels that. And also at the same time, the gunslinger has always kind of paralleled the samurai in yep. film. Historically, Western movies have ripped off samurai movies. Akira Kurosawa, who has made some of the greatest films of all time, historically was ripped off by Leone in Yojimbo. He made Yojimbo. Uh, Kurosawa made Yojimbo and and uh, Leone made A Fistful of Dollars, which is a shot for shot, the same movie. Just one of them has Clint Eastwood in it as a cowboy and the other one has a samurai. And they all do kind of cross over. So it is interesting to, to see that too, how those how those stories blend and how the revenge story works that's and how the gunslingers always pass. That's part of the through. trilogy, right? A few dollars more and a few dollars. Yeah, it's the, the, it's the I, think, I think it's the, they call him the man with no name trilogy. Yes, it's, yes. Uh, Fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and of course, the 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 best one, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, Mike, you're right. And there's something about those those locales they visit in these westerns that are just so famous. Whether it's a movie, a TV show like Westworld, or anything you've you've come past, there's always the saloon, there's always the the barn, there's always the 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 different locales that you expect, the different shops, the different hotels, or the places they stay at. There's these famous locales, and here you get to play with each of those where you're on a train. It just does a great job of letting you, whether you're fighting on horseback or going to one of these areas, having a shootout in the middle of town, it just makes you play that gunslinger, and it just feels really cool. Yeah, and I think the whole quick draw system and the dead eye system dead eye. Really, help, really help you feel like you're playing a Western movie. When you get to do the shootout at high noon or the, 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 the duel at high noon or something similar to that, when you do a duel, that's what, how accurate that is or not, it doesn't matter because that's, that's, it's not looking, Red Dead Redemption is not looking to give you an accurate retelling of what happened in the West. They're looking to give you the romanticized version of the West that we've seen in movies that have been made in the United States for a hundred years. We want to, it's, there's a wildness to it and they call it the wild west for a reason. It's not just the fact that there was, there's potentially some violence that happened in the, the West, but the West itself as an environment is wild. It is not yet tamed by human beings. And while there are boom towns and there are towns that do get built, the West, even at this point in 1911 is still on the last bits of it being untamed and the West itself is wild with the animals that you find out there, the folks that you run into, yeah. just the harshness of the environment. So this I, game captures all that. I think the wild, wild West is a lot that goes with, with that. And you have bandits, you have Native Americans, you have, as you said, wild animals. There's so much about this that is not the social order that we know today. It's a little bit of chaos. It's a little bit of uh, culture. It's a little bit of things that are before civilized. Some days were less civilized than others in 2022. I, yeah, you're right. But back then, there was just, as you said, Wild Wild West. And this game lets you kind of be Grand Theft Cowboy in the Wild Wild West. It is sort of a combination, the melting of Grand Theft Auto, which you're going, you're stealing cars and going into buildings and causing chaos. You're doing that now, but a hundred years earlier in this yeah. 
crazy wild time. So as you said before, the story is definitely an important part of what makes this game an all-time great. You have John, whose uh, wife and son are taken hostage by the government. And if he fulfills his services as a hired gun, well, then they can they can return to him. And he's got to bring back, I believe he was part of a gang and they were former members with him. So he's got to take them down to get them back. And the story, I think you said it before, these are like fully fleshed out characters. I mean, you spend a lot of time with each of these areas and characters. And that was not all that common in 2010 to get a story that feels like a good B Hollywood Western story. No, for sure. And what's crazy is that you're hunting down gang members that you play with in your gang in Red Dead Redemption 2. And and John, rather, is in Red Dead Redemption 2. John Marston, he's in the game. But he's kind of like this side character who's like, it's wild because in Red Dead Redemption, you're like, yeah, John's this like awesome cowboy. He's this 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 kind of brutal gunslinger. He's this anti-hero. And then you see him in Red Dead Redemption 2, and you're like, this guy's kind of a joke. Like, when does he toughen up? And eventually you do see him toughen up and kind of take the reins uh, on his end. But what I love about this game, and it's just the story is is amazing. I mean, these are conflicted interesting characters that have done a lot of bad things. John Marston's character has done a lot of bad things. But what I like about Red Dead Redemption versus Grand Theft Auto is in Grand Theft Auto, you're playing a criminal. That's what the name of the game is a legitimate crime. You're playing a criminal who only seeks to continue to engage in crime. So you're kind of a bad person in the Grand Theft Auto games. Now, obviously, that's complicated because it's layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of stuff. And you can't just like, whatever. But in Red Dead Redemption, you're playing more of an anti-hero. You're playing a character that has done bad things and like the title suggests, is looking to seek some kind of redemption through getting revenge. But at the same time, it's like John is not like a bad, not necessarily a bad person. And it's, it's, it's nice to play a game where one of these uh, big open world rockstar games where you're not like actively a piece of garbage, yeah. you know, like no, this right. guy who loves sh- his wife and family. Mike, I struggle with that because in a lot of these games, when you can choose hero or villain, I go the boring route. I usually like to be the squeaky clean hero. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of these rockstar games, like if you just go back to GTA three or even vice city, you're not necessarily playing the greatest of people. These are not people that make the best choices. Even when you're doing the plot and the missions, the way they want you to do it, you're still doing a lot of illegal and morally wrong things. So while you are not necessarily um, saving kittens in this game, but you do feel like you are on the right side of the, the, the moral system. I think so. It does feel like you're on the, the, the good side of the moral compass, even though you might act chaotically against whatever law organizations there are but i mean you go out there in the world and the world wants to kill you with this game so (laughs) you kind of have to have to kind of be a little harsh and the environments are harsh and the enemies are difficult and there's a lot of cool stuff that you could do in red dead redemption it's uh it's really fascinating just how how much they packed into this game yeah i agree with you so let's talk about some of the things they packed into this game now i talked about it before but to this day, you can play this game and still be impressed by the, the graphics, mm-hmm. the detail, 
mm-hmm. and the animations. And that's something that I feel like they get better and better at as you watch Rockstar games. And they hire professional actors that perform body movements, motion capture work to get some of these really impressive animations. But that's something that going back to even GTA 3, when you grab someone and threw them out of a car and you jumped in, it always looked fluid. But you get up now to 2010, Red Dead Redemption, all the movements, all yeah. the characters, all the NPCs, there's a there's a reality to the way everyone moves and feels, Mike. Yeah, it's it's gotten a lot better by this point. And it's not just the body movements. It's not just the animations. Like that's a big part of it that make it more believable and more, I don't want to use the term realistic, but more lifelike. And then once you add on top of that, the brilliance of the voice casting that Rockstar just does better than anyone. There are few game companies that cast their voiced actors as well as Rockstar does because it feels like across the board, their voice talent is the best. Whether they're going for humor, whether they're going for serious, it's it's one of those things where these, these voice actors are at the top of their game and sometimes they pick big names like Ray Liotta, RIP, and Samuel Jack, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they pick different people who just sound the right, have the right voice and right character for the part. And I think they do that in Red Dead Redemption, both games in the series, both one and two, just monstrous voice talent. And, you know, they really know how to set a stage and they really know how to create an environment using these animations and these voice acting and the music and all this stuff comes together in Red Dead Redemption. It's a really... It might not be the most polished product, but because there are a lot of bugs and weird stuff, like I don't know if this was the game where there was like the 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 mountain lion woman who like you would run into out in the fields, and she was it was a mountain lion, but un- but like was bugged, yeah, and was programmed to look like a human. I think a lot of you. Rockstar games are not quite as buggy or janky as like Skyrim or Oblivion in those games. Definitely not. But you're right. There's not quite the polish that some AAA games you expect. Yeah. Sometimes there's pop-in, sometimes people get caught in between places. So there, yeah. there is, and there, there are sometimes bugs in these games that get patched out. You're right. You're absolutely right. But I think when you're juggling as many objects, NPCs, environments, yeah. details, I think it's probably really hard on the development side to get these games perfectly polished, like somehow Nintendo managed to do with some of their like, Mario games, I think it's really hard to do on this scale that they're working with. I think so. And these games, like you said, scale-wise, they're so big. They're so big. I believe the engine they use for this is the Rage engine, which is something that I think Rockstar San Diego developed. So obviously, they can work and improve upon that engine as time goes on, and things do get a little better in terms of overall quality by the time you get to Red Dead Redemption 2. But even Red Dead Redemption 2 has those issues yeah. and the bugs. And at some point it becomes part of the reason why you play the game. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's all part of the charm. Like you said, oblivion or Skyrim, like those games are buggy and janky. Like that's why people like them. So people like that about rockstar games as well. And add the freedom to kind of do whatever you want on top of that. And, and you get something like red dead, which is just great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think whether you're on horsebook, uh, horseback, whether you're on foot, whether you're lassoing horses, whether you are chasing down uh, a bad guy in the woods or at his home, there's something special about this game. And for me, it was always, 
I was always most impressed by just the vistas, the views, the draw distance, just the yeah. look, just the look and feel of a Western that they got so well. The score, I think the score of sometimes these rock star games get unappreciated. There's no quote unquote car radio here, but they have a great score of the composure of Bill Elm and Woody Jackson for Red Dead Redemption, really top notch. And you mentioned before, Mike, uh, this is a online game too. This is sort of where Rockstar Games started to grow and increase with their online communities. This You could play 16 people online, co-op or competitive. You can kind of recreate the, the feel of the story. I never actually did it myself. Do you have any experience with the online? No, actually, I don't. Uh, I'm usually not into online gaming. Yeah. So I did not get into this one. I played a little of the second game online just because at that point it was so popular. I might as well have tried it. And I've played some Grand Theft Auto 5 online. Grand Theft Auto 5 online after about like a year or so was really good. It's like the beginning of it was like, eh, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. get this. But yeah, I don't have much experience with online. I have experience with Undead Nightmare, Ah, so but I don't have experience with online. So Red Dead Redemption has not what I would call DLC. It's more like an expansion, Mike. This mm-hmm. is what I'd call it, a true expansion. Now, let's talk about Undead Nightmare, which is very much a part of the game. What, what do you think of this expansion? I love Undead Nightmare. Undead Nightmare was wild. It's the whole map, and it like almost like doesn't even take place in the same game. And it's a zombie game. And as I said before, I played a game called Doomtown, a card game called Doomtown. A big part of Doomtown was there were zombies in this world that you were in. And they were some zombies were just kind of lifeless husks that came out of the ground and attacked you. But some of them were undead versions of people who had like their full memory and 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 could communicate and and were totally intelligent. So when they were like, we're giving you a zombie Western game, I was like, yeah, I'll play that like crazy. And that came out right before Halloween, I remember, because it came out right before Halloween in 2010. And I'm like, that that's what I'm playing. And I remember picking this up and and loving Undead Nightmare. Undead Nightmare was awesome. I had almost as much from an Undead Nightmare that I had with the original. Yeah. No, it's really cool that this even exists. And I don't know the backstory. I'm sure it's on the internet. Was this just developers having some fun in their downtime? Is that how it started? Or was this an actual pitch from the developers and publishers to make it? I don't know. But either way, it's really great that this exists because I know some people, like you said, like this as much as the original game itself. So it's really cool. This game has been you know, universally praised, Mike. This game yeah. is like once in a generation in terms of it's critical reception. It's an all-time great. You can put it on a, a top all-time list. It's obviously earned its place in our Hall of Fame. And, and financially, this was actually the most expensive game made at this time. They thought they said they had to make, they had to sell like three or four or five million copies just to break even. I think six million to be profitable, which is unheard wow. of. That was a huge risk. Yeah. With because the Red Dead series was not really established at this point. It was a huge gamble. They sold 23 million copies to date. And as you said, it's only on PS3 and Xbox 360. This game didn't make it to PC. So pretty impressive number, Mike. Yeah, you could probably get it on Xbox One and Xbox Series X, I would imagine. But yeah, the fact that this game sold that many copies without hitting the PC is 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 um, remarkable. I don't know how... I don't know why it's not on PC. I really don't. Like, I have game no idea. That could also use a nice... Not that it needs a remaster, but if you re-released a version, maybe Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2 packaged together, 
or just re-release this game for $39.99 with a 4K you know, upgrade, which I know that you get already if you played this game on Xbox One X or Series X today. I think it has those enhancements. Yeah. This is a game that still holds up really well today. Yeah, no, it, it really does. And I it kind of makes me want to play it again. Uh, I just <laughs> if I had the time and the patience to play an open world game, I would sit down and play this because this game is is so good. So good. And it really is another another point in time. It's funny because this series does it twice where the second game in the series is better than the first because the second Red Dead game is better than the first Red Dead game. And the second Red Dead Redemption is probably better than the, the first Red Dead Redemption. That's hard to do. If we made a list, like if you look at the Mass Effects, that's not the case. If you look at certain series, like the Tomb Raider series, I know it's not the case. They don't each get better. It's hard to really do that where each series improves upon itself. Yeah. I can't think of many, Mike. I know the Assassin's Creed we've talked about. Two is a step up. Three was a step down. Yeah, Assassin's Creed and actually none of them. Like most of them, if the sequel's better, that's that's kind of, you kind of take a step down after that, except like Mario. But the sequel's not better than the first one. So Mario Brothers 2 isn't better than the original Mario. Three is just better than both of them. So it's one of those things where Rockstar just really knew what to do with this and they knew how to improve upon what they already did and they knew what worked about Red Dead Redemption. So when they came out with Red Dead Redemption 2, which to me is what I would consider a perfect prequel, it's like the Better Call Saul of video games. Totally. It's it's a perfect prequel because you know where the story needs to go. You know where the story's going, but you're not playing the same character and you don't know how we get to the establishing kind of exposition of the first game until you play through Red Dead Redemption 2. I like Arthur Morgan a little bit better as a character, but I think that uh, John Marsden is uh, John Marston, Marston. Yeah, is a great character and I think he's an interesting character and he's he just sells this game. Like really, like the whole the whole atmosphere of it all just really sells it and it's a it's a great game if you haven't played it and you're itching to play it, you have access to it on Xbox or something like that, you definitely should give this a try. Yeah, I agree. And the last thing I want to say before we put this down, we've talked about themes in video games yeah, in terms of, yeah. of, of, of what's essential as far as topics of games. When you talk about Horizon today, you talk about Ghost of Tsushima, these are games about revenge or social yeah. change or yeah. loss of freedom and redemption. And this hits all of those things years yeah. and years earlier because Sony's been for years now killing the first party scene. You look at God of War, you look yeah. at Ghost of Tsushima, you look at all these games and they have really serious in-depth themes in these games. And this game did that, I think, before many games were. I mean, Bioshock's a great game, but it really doesn't touch upon that many quote-unquote themes. I mean, it's really just a, a futuristic, apocalyptic world. But as far as themes go, there's really not much there. But this game yeah. has government control. It has the loss of freedom. It has social changes. It has things that are kind of in our American DNA. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Bioshock comes the closest with its, I gather it's a takedown of objectivism, which is what Bioshock is trying to kind of do. Yeah. it's uh, it's it's It definitely goes out of its way to be like, hey, this is why objectivism essentially does not work. But at the same time, that it's just one kind of topic. It's really kind of just taking yeah. upon that and whatever you want to call late stage capitalism, whatever you want to call with Bioshock, what they're going after. And then Red Dead Redemption attacks that as well, but it also attacks like government overreach and control. It attacks obviously cultural stuff. It, I mean, 
honestly, like there's some horrible racist characters in Red Dead Redemption. And man, does it feel good to like completely take them out of out of commission. And it attacks that. It attacks the end of the West. It attacks yeah. the West in general. And it's as hard, an idea. And it's hard, Mike, to think of that many games before this that were hitting upon so many different things. And you could say the yeah. GTA games did, but because those games feel a little more fictional, they feel like a little bit less in our historical DNA than this does. GTA is a lot more tongue in cheek yeah. than, than Red Dead Redemption. GTA is a bit more of a joke. It's a little more over the top. Yeah. Yeah. It Red feels, Dead Redemption. It feels like it's like putting a joke on things that are real in our life. Well, this feels a little more engraved in our past. So yes. I agree with you, Mike. This game is, is definitely an unforgettable one. It does make me itch to want to play it again. The key thing, I'd say my favorite part of this game would be that dead eye mechanic that you hit yeah. before. That was actually one of the few things that carried over from Red Dead Revolver, where you can kind of have that slow down, you yeah. can mark multiple targets and shoot them all at once. And it, it kind of had that max pain yeah. feel to it, which I which I love. But Mike, any last words on Red Dead Redemption from 2010? I think it's one of the best games of its generation. And I think it's one of the better games to have come out in the last 20 years. Uh, I think it's definitely something that you should try, especially if you like Westerns and open world games. And if yeah. you haven't and you do... Just get on that. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. Well said. So, Mike, that is where we will go to our next topic, which is, well, what have you been playing? So what have I been playing? So, yeah, I've been playing a lot. I, I, I'm, I hop into Elden Ring every so often just because it's a game that I'm going to be playing, I think, on and off for a while. Like, I don't think Elden Ring is ever going to be the focus of my time only because it just... I it. It does get frustrating and it's very difficult, but it's an amazing game. It's really good. And open world games for me are always like projects. Like I never like to just sit and play an open world game forever because at some point the mechanics kind of get redundant and repetitive. And a game like Elden Ring, it's so intense when you get into combat that I need a break from that here and there. So I really, I really enjoy it. So I'm going to continue to play that. I've been playing a game called Tunic which is not offering me the break from Elden Ring that I thought it might be because it's also really tough. But it's a really beautiful looking game. It's a, an indie game where you play, it's a Zelda-like. Like they're not trying to hide the fact that it's, it's definitely inspired by A Link to the Past. But you essentially play this little fox guy who is very much like Link. And you're going through this post-apocalyptic world. And while you're going through this world, you're collecting these these pieces of a manual, like a video game manual that you're piecing together to kind of help you understand how things work in the world and how you as a player can interact with the world around you. Now, you don't need those pages to be able to act. You don't like, it's not like, hey, you get the sword or a stick at the beginning of the game and you can't swing it until you find the page. No, you could fully do that. But the, the pages of this manual will, will open things up and, and pretty much teach you how to play the game as you're playing the game. And there are maps and there are items and nothing's in a language you can read, but through process of elimination and through trial and error, you figure things out. But it definitely also functions like a Souls game where there are bonfires that you will rest at. When you die, you lose money and you can find your soul hovering around and you can act, you can pick it up and get all the stuff you lost. So it definitely has that element, but it definitely 
is very much a Zelda game. I think it's very good. It is difficult. Uh, I do keep running into kind of difficulty walls and some of the boss fights are, are very challenging, but I never feel like I'm completely hopeless because the checkpointing is good enough to where when you do die, you're never that far away from where you died and you can easily get right back to where you were. And uh, I really like it. I think the music's very moody and weird and odd, and I like that a lot. And I, I think it's a it's another example of how well indie games are really just how well they're doing. Indie games are are surprisingly amazing, and I I don't want to say that to make it like a slight to indie developers because I think that they're amazing and they do great work. But I think that in a world where triple A games kind of capitalize all of the discussion, it's indie games who really pick up the slack and really show us new and interesting things that we can do with classic style. And Tunic is another example uh, of that, uh, similar, similarly to a game like Shovel Knight or Hollow Knight. And just you can name, name them all these beautiful indie games. So I'm excited to see more of Tunic. I, I signed up for Game Pass because it was a dollar for the month and it's on Game Pass. So if I can play one of the best games of the year for a buck, that'd be awesome. That's definitely right up my alley. And other than that, I also started playing a game called Disco Elysium, which is a isometric style, old school style computer RPG or CRPG. And it is wild. I haven't done any combat yet. The whole game for me has been me talking to people. And it's a miserable game in terms of you play a miserable character in this grotesque and ugly world. And nothing you do is like stands out like as like good. You're like this, you play this cop who's trying to investigate a murder and you're just kind of, for lack of better terms, a piece of garbage. And like your necktie talks to you. It's very cerebral. It's very odd. Apparently this guy has done some terrible things, but he has amnesia. So he has no idea of all the terrible things that he's done. But it's very cool, and it's an interesting piece. I'm excited to see more of it and play more of it because I've heard nothing but great things. According and like down to the point of people having this like on their top ten RPGs of all time. Listen, as someone who plays a lot of RPGs, I feel like I kind of have to play it. So I, I like Disco Elysium, and I'm excited to see more. Yeah, it's really interesting. The year that Disco Elysium came out, and I believe it was either. Uh, 2020 or 2021. I'm not sure exactly yeah. what, what year it was, but people loved this game. They put it on their game of the year lists. And when I watched some of the footage, Mike, it looked graphic, not uh, a very dialogue heavy. It looked like most of the role-playing was through dialogue and storytelling, which listen, there's definitely a place for that, but it did seem interesting for sure, especially the art style, which seemed a little on the old schooler side, which again, something for everyone. Tunic. Yeah. 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 Continue. yeah no, 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 no. You're right. You're okay. right. Uh, but Tunic was very much on my radar. And look, I agree. It's very unabashedly Zelda looking. Would you say it controls more like Zelda 1, Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, something in, with, in the middle mix of all that? I would say it's between Link's Awakening and a Link to the Past. Okay. Yeah, that you game, know, for about three years or four years when Xbox and Microsoft first announced this game was going to be an exclusive to their console it was on my radar and it felt very much like it should have been on a Nintendo console because of its aesthetics, because of its style, because it's a cute little fox, which very look, very much looked like a Zelda game. 
But this is a game I know is also on the PC. So you, you piqued my interest, Mike. So this is a game that you're probably going to cost me money to pick up and buy. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> and there are ways to upgrade your character and level up in Tunic as well. So I know as someone who likes stats and getting better as you play, uh, your character does get better while you as the player get better as well. So yeah, and you, you do a lot of rolling. You definitely do a lot of rolling and, and stabbing enemies in the back, but they they overwhelm you a little bit. But I didn't feel like the challenge was has has been to the point right now where it made me want to put the game down. It's a little bit easier than Death's Door. I feel like it's a little less precise than Death's Door is, but I also love Death's Door. So I, yeah. I don't know. Death's Door, I only played probably about, about two hours. I got frustrated because my character maybe wasn't increasing in strength as much as I would have liked the character too. But games like Hades and Age of Calamity games that I, two games I played previously, you're constantly leveling up your characters and your yeah. gear. And I love that. And when you told me just now that Tunic can do that, that's the final hook I need. So if I need to grind a little bit to get a little stronger and make the area a little easier, you can do that. Yeah. So the way you grind in Tunic is you pick up items that increase different stats but at the same time, you need the items, but also you need money. So you need to combine items and money to increase your little fox guy stats. But it's fun and it works. And I've had a great time with it so far. I've only been lightly annoyed by some of the, the bosses. But like I said, you're never that far away from a boss when you die. That's awesome, Mike. So you'll have to let us know as you continue playing these games what you think of them. I definitely will. So, Mike, I have ventured into a new recent release sometimes i'd play some classics i miss out on but here i am playing a game that came out just this past month and that is lego star wars the skywalker Ooh. saga Ooh. i've heard good things so this game was was very much delayed it was supposed to come out i believe in 2020 then pushed to 21 and 22 and this is telltale i believe it's is this no this is um warner brothers Ta warner um, brothers and is it tall tale tall tale maybe i forget who makes the lego games but their games have always been, I feel like, years behind other developers because in terms of game systems and combat, they kind of simplify a lot of their games. And sometimes it's for the better. It's a lot of times geared for kids. This game, though, was marketed more as an evolve, an evolution, I'd say, of their games. So I feel like you see more, they advance the combat is a little more in depth than the older Star Wars games, as far as what you could do with a lightsaber and the force. A little more exploration involved than in the older Star Wars games. So I was I was very excited. And finally, the Switch eShop threw a sale at me. So I said, okay, baby, I'm picking you up. And I'm a little disappointed so far. I find that a lot of the areas are segmented and disjointed. And I feel like it's a little cumbersome going from area to area. Maybe that's because I'm playing on the Switch and there's a lot of loading. But I just feel like unless you want to explore every area and get every brick and try to upgrade everything which you can finally upgrade your character in this game, which is sort of interesting for a Lego game. I'm finding myself just going the linear path, just going to the next story beat, next cutscene, next story beat. And I, it's okay if you really love the Star Wars movies, which I do, but I'm finding there's not a lot there otherwise. So I played through the first of the prequel trilogy, which a lot of people consider to be the worst segment of the movies. That's up for constant <laughs> conversation on the internet. <laughs> um, I enjoy aspects and bits of them, so I am enjoying parts of it, and I'm about to start the original trilogy, which I'm hoping will be uh, a little bit better. Yeah, let me know how that goes, because this is definitely a game I was interested in picking up, and I really haven't played too many of the LEGO games, just because I remember playing the first LEGO Star Wars game that's only based off the prequels, 
And I remember playing it and beating it in like, I don't know, a few hours. And then I was just like, really? And then I never went back and played really another until like, I think I played Lego Marvel superheroes, like the first one, or maybe the second one. I forget either way. I have not played a lot of this, these games, but I've heard good things about the Skywalker saga. And it does upset me though, that you think that you're what you were saying and how it's kind of like too open worldy for this type of game. And you kind of just want to go point the point. And that um, might just be me. That might just be the way that I'm playing. Other people might enjoy the expiration of it. I'd say the game looks pretty good on the Switch and runs pretty good on the Switch. I actually thought good. because it's 2022 and this game came out the same time as it did on the, let's say, current gen consoles, that I thought I'd be missing out. And I've seen videos. It looks much prettier and probably runs much prettier on the true current gen consoles, but it's it's playable. It looks nice. I'm having a, If this was the only experience out there, I'd be happy with it. That's good. That's good. Uh, I think it's great that these that this series has kind of continued like into persistence. Like I feel like there's always another Lego game on the on the horizon and I I actually think I did myself a disservice because I played the first Lego Star Wars game and it was kind of like eh and then I heard that the Lego games really don't get good until like I heard like Harry Potter's like the I first one that really I would say the Lego good. Batman and the Lego oh, okay. Harry Potter games are both strong. The Lego Marvel ones have some bobs and weaves in there of, of things that are good and bad. And there's the Jurassic Park ones. Then Lego has its own spinoff games, Lego City and Lego Undercover Cop and all this other stuff. I'd say some of the Batman stuff is probably the strongest. Lego Harry Potter's, if you're a big Harry Potter fan, it's fun to kind of walk around a fully realized Lego Harry Potter world. But this this game is different, as I said, because it is more open world, because they want you to explore more. Usually they give you little linear areas, you destroy everything in the room, you build what you can, you do a basic, basic combat, and you go to the next area. And this is adventures from that slightly. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I'm, I've yet to determine that yet, Mike. Well, let me know how it turns out. I, I also gathered that there's a gigantic cast of playable characters in this game too right yeah after you beat each level that it opens up the free-to-play options you can replay the level as any character and there's obviously much more you can do one second you're playing as r2d2 cruising around next second you're, you're princess uh, amidala so you're really all over the place senator amidala and i'm sorry not princess she starts as a princess and she's a senator yeah, I, yeah. it's all over the place but anyway it does bounce around back and forth in terms of what characters you can be but yes you want to lock I think over a hundred by the time you're at the end of this game. That's a lot of characters, Matt. <laughs> it sure is. So I will, I'm sure I will keep playing it because it's not a long winded game. If you stick the, the straight and narrow path, I think I can beat this probably in 10 hours or less. So I'm going to keep going and beat it. Oh, well, let us know. Let me know. Let we'll us do. know. We'll do. So thank you, Mike, as always uh, for joining us here on the hall of fame video game podcast week to week. Where can people find you? Sure, you can find me here uh, on this podcast, the Hall of Fame pod, the Hall of Fame video game podcast, on pretty much every week, where we talk about video games. So be sure to continue to listen to what we have to talk about. You can also find me with my band, Bad Mary. You can find us at badmary.com, or you can search us out, Bad Mary, on the internet, or you can go to ba at Bad Mary Band, pretty much on every social media platform. And you can also find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore Mike underscore Staub. Please feel free to reach out and chat with us about video games because I think that's uh, the conversation back and forth is part of the fun when we do something like this. And, and we really love to hear what you have to say about our opinions about these games. 
And then uh, last but not least, you can find me with uh, Long Island Retro Gaming. If you search out LI Retro, Long Island Retro Gaming out there on the internet, we are doing our convention in the second week of August. So you should definitely check that out. And if you're from out of town, that's a great weekend to be in town. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Awesome stuff, Mike. So as he said, please do comment. Please hit us up in the in the notes, in the in the comments. Talk to us. Let us know what you think. Likes, yeah. dislikes. It's a lot of fun. Check out our back catalog. We're some 70-something episodes in. I think this is our 77th, if I should be so bold, episode here on the video game podcast. I'm losing track, Mike. I know. I don't remember what games we've talked about. No, we're going to start. We're going to do the 100th episode. It's going to be just the same as the first, and, and yep. hopefully no one realizes. Yeah, they won't know. <laughs> So please check out our back catalog, leave a review. It really helps us out. And then as always, play those video games. This is, we're getting into video game event season with announcements. It's a fun time if you're a video game fan as we get into June to hear what's what's on the horizon. I'll tell you, man, the leaks are coming out and we're already getting hit with teasers and spoilers and all that stuff. So I'm very excited to see what we hear this week and what comes out of video game land next the following week. Because we have the potential for a lot of stuff to get uh, announced or at least to them to show more. And I've seen some of the, the lists that are rumored to come out and some of the stuff seems really cool. So we'll see, we'll see what's true and what's not. And the internet, everyone is a liar, but also everyone is right at the same time. Everyone's uncle at Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo is right now leaking all the information. But if you're a video game fan, this time of year is like Christmas and I love it. And I, I create in my mind all these games that I want, you know, re-released, ports, remasters, remakes, sequels. And I usually get about 5% of what's in my mind. But that's sort of the fun of it, Mike. This, this time of year, you're right. That is the fun of it. It's like you make this, your own bingo board. And yes. if you get one out of nine on there, you, you won. Uh, honestly, sometimes that one that you, that you predicted, that one that comes true is worth like 10 or 15 you got wrong. And this time of year, I would argue is possibly better than Christmas because the hype is real. This is where the hype train starts, folks. And the hype train don't stop until, I don't know, mid-December. So we're, we're, we're about to get into the best time of year to be a gamer, only because the anticipation and the excitement is at all-time highs right now. We got Sony and Sega with their stuff. We got Jeff Keighley doing his Summer of Gaming or whatever he calls it. I don't remember. Everyone's got a funny name for it. You got IGN doing a bunch of summer-related gaming stuff. A lot of great stuff happening and a lot of great stuff coming out very soon. So keep your eyes and ears and everything peeled because there's going to be a lot of stuff that gets announced, a lot of stuff that we will see for the first time, and stuff that will be get that will be delayed until 2023. <laughs> or so, 2024. But yes, who knows? Who knows? Please do listen to the weeks to come. Me and Mike plan on talking about some of these announcements because it is exciting for us. In the end, we are gamers just like you guys. Exactly. And we get just as excited about the dumbest stuff. I will say one thing before we part today on this episode, that NVIDIA leak from like a year ago, or maybe a little longer than a year ago now has kind of been on the money. So if you're looking at what might be coming out soon, go ahead and search the NVIDIA leak and just look down the list because it's like, oh my gosh, so much of that stuff happens. So we'll see. Yeah. Now, a lot of that, they were like, oh, it's just placeholders just in case. But no, they, they had a feeling. They knew they, they knew what was coming. So I mean, Kingdom Hearts 4, Chrono Cross re, uh, Remaster, I think Live Alive might have been on there. I think the new Street Fighter was on there. Street Fighter 6 was on yeah. there. I think Resident Evil 4 was on there as a remake. So we'll see, man. We will see. 
Absolutely. So thank you as always, Mike. We appreciate you here. We hope looking forward to uh, seeing you guys all next week and have yourselves a grand day. Enjoy. Bye-bye. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.